0: Thank you for tuning in to the Red Clinic Podcast. I'm Dr. Shuelin, licensed psychologist and expert in the treatment of eating disorders. Today we have a very special guest on our show, Melissa Bloom, registered dietitian, certified eating disorder registered dietitian, Uh, one of my favorite colleagues to work with, and you have joined us today so we can talk about the brain-gut access and implications for eating disorder treatment. Yes. All right. So tell us, what do you want to
1: share? Yeah. So the brain gut axis is a fairly complex subject and I'd like to simplify it a little bit for you guys uh, in the world of eating disorder treatment. So the brain gut axis is the, the way that our gut connects with our brain and how our brain connects with our gut. A lot of well, uh, researchers will dub the gut as the second brain. It is unique as your own thumbprint. So everyone is different in their gut uh, microbiota or their gut bacteria. So the way that we communicate may be slightly different from our gut to our brain based on an individual. So when we think about our gut, uh, it has about four to five times the amount of neurons uh, in our gut compared to our brain. And we think of neurons as kind of those sparks um, that uh, fire in the sense of giving our brain messages, but more uh, neurons are found in our gut. So it's really important. It's really interesting.
0: Oh, yeah. And so that's kind of where the, the gut feeling or follow your gut instinct
1: yeah. or what are some of the other ones? Butterflies in your mm-hmm. belly. Uh, yeah. Go with your gut. How do you feel? Um, that's why a lot of people will feel things in their lower abdominal area, not necessarily their stomach uh, when they're not feeling great mood wise. Okay. And so like a really good example
0: of that, which I think comes up in the red clinic all the time is when we um, ask clients about, you know, nausea, diarrhea, any kind of GI symptom. Yes. And we learn that usually they're having those symptoms when they're particularly anxious Yes. or feeling a lot of shame or guilt or some kind of emotional response kind of in their eating disorder. Yep. And then we're able to kind of connect. Well, it's this connection between what you're psychologically going through and the impact it's having on
1: your gut. Yes. Not actually the food. Right. And I feel feel like that is the one, number one, if we're talking about GI issues, misconception or questions um, that patients uh, will ask a registered dietitian or tell a registered dietitian or their treatment team that when I eat this food or when I eat food in general, I don't feel well. Um, they uh, automatically attribute a specific food or a specific food groups um, to having GI distress when really knowing that intricate uh, intimate relationship that the brain has with the gut, it could just be from anxiety, depression, eating disorder, anything that they're going through from a mental health standpoint. And that may be the answer versus pinpointing when I eat bread, I feel bad.
0: Okay. So instead of blaming it on the food and cutting out more food or more Mm -hmm. food groups, we really need to look deeper at what's going on psychologically and
1: use some coping skills to manage that feeling. Yes. So um, when we have a, a patient who describes some of those symptoms, uh, it's it's a little bit more complex if they haven't eaten for a while, right? They have that distress of physical digestion. Um, but the number one go-to before we even ask anything, well, oh, what are you eating? Um, is how are you feeling? are you stressed? Are you anxious? Are you feeling down Uh, versus trying to pinpoint specific foods uh, to that feeling? Because again, knowing that connection between the brain and the gut and how it is intertwined, mood can absolutely be affected by your gut health and gut health can be affected by your mood.
0: Okay. And so now that you've said that in eating disorders, we know Let's, let's talk first restrictive eating disorders, mm-hmm. okay? So avoidant or restrictive eating disorders like anorexia, even sometimes bulimia, sometimes, I mean, obviously ARFID, yeah. atypical anorexia. Let's kind of talk with that first. Okay. Um, if if patients or clients are struggling with restriction and they're not getting like the variety or all yes. the food groups on the pyramid, the food pyramid, right? How, how does that affect not just their medical status, like in terms of the way their body's functioning, yeah. but also what's going on with them psychologically.
1: Yeah. Well, if someone is not eating, uh, the fuel that their body needs to function optimally, I don't mean just like getting by like a zombie. I mean, actually functioning the way it should be. Um, and we don't have that fuel to then fuel our gut health and that variety, like you were saying, Dr. (laughs) Schwalen, then our chance of feeling better mood-wise lessens. And I feel like that impedes on someone's overall recovery. I don't necessarily think that even as providers, we make that connection of how nutrition improves our mood. We automatically go to the medical side of things of how is it improving digestion, which it absolutely will uh, do that, as, that do that too. But how does that affect our mood? How does that affect our longevity in recovery? Um,
0: yeah. Okay. And so when you're, you know, meeting with the client in a nutrition session, for example, and you're explaining to them the benefits of food and really convincing them, honestly, that Food is okay and they Mm -hmm. should be eating it, right? Because it's not just going to make them fat. Yes. It's not really what food does.
1: Right. What does food actually do? What do you explain to them? So one of the things that um, I do explain is the improvement in mood. Um, And I think the number one counter to that is, well, if I eat, I feel more distressed. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that we can actually work through on a therapeutic level. But when we are talking about, does food actually make me feel better on a biological, scientific level? Absolutely. Um, I'm just thinking about the patients who I've seen in the past that are just, you know oh, this food causes this, or how am I going to get better? I feel more distressed when I do eat. And that's the eating disorder telling you that. That's something that you can work through. But if you continue to avoid food, then that's not going to help your mood. Okay. And so really
0: like teasing apart, what's the eating disorder and Mm -hmm. what's actual, right? I mean, we work on that all the time with our clients.
1: Yep. What else do you want to tell us about the brain-gut access? So I have a few fun facts. Um, typically those with uh, anxiety, research has shown that um, people struggling with anxiety, not necessarily eating disorders, but anxiety itself, uh, have more of a prevalence of having IBS-like symptoms or being diagnosed with IBS so if you think about I'm anxious, I'm stressed about a work project or publicly speaking, you're probably going to feel it in your gut. You're not going to have an appetite. You're not going to have great um, poop schedule. <laughs> you're not going to feel the best there. And that's an automatic response from anxiety affecting your gut. Uh, so it makes sense that those struggling with anxiety uh, may be more prone to those diagnoses th- that diagnosis of IBS. Um, and then a fun fact is that serotonin, which some of you may have heard of, some of you may have not, it's the calm down hormone. Um, 80% of that is actually made and created in your gut. So if you're not fueling your body the way that it needs to be fueled on a biological level, you may not feel as calm. So when we follow our meal plans or we follow a nutrition roadmap and, working on getting what we need on a daily basis, that can actually help us feel calmer, okay. which is pretty fascinating.
0: So food food or fuel can <clears throat> be used as a way to, um, on a biological level, mm-hmm. change the way our bodies are functioning
1: Yes, and the way we're emotionally feeling. Yeah. The, especially the way that we're emotionally feeling, which I think goes to, you know, the way that our bodies are functioning because... Our brain is just as important as other things. Okay, Mental health is just as important as physical health. And so
0: what about um, clients who really fear that food is going to make them fat? Mm-hmm. How do you address that? Because, yeah. I mean, that's their number one reason for avoiding it when we're yes. talking about an eating disorder. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, we discussed that in the sense of that's not food's purpose. Food's purpose is not to make us gain weight. Obviously, if we need restoration and weight restoration, and that's part of your treatment plan, um, that is needed. But and food can help you do that. But that is not food's purpose. That is not food's function. Of if I eat too much, uh, right now in this moment, too much is subjective. In this moment that I'm going to gain weight or this is going to make me larger than I want to be or fat, that's not food's purpose. Food's purpose is for fuel. Food's purpose is for enjoyment. It wouldn't be enjoyable if it wasn't a necessity uh, to our bodies. Um, So that's providing that education and then also going into the why, because a lot of uh, patients will Want to understand, which I am the same way, want to understand why is food, how is it used for fuel? Why is it not going to make me fat when that all, uh, that's all I hear from society. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's what the eating disorder thrives on. Uh Right, That's why our patients have such a hard time getting better. Yes. Our society has one big eating
1: disorder. Uh, That's right. I love it.
0: (laughs) so true um okay what
1: else what other fun facts do you have so I think going back into um uh, some of the hormones and the way that our brain and gut communicate this is a little bit more scientific if you're interested in this but it communicates through the vagus nerve which um the vagus nerve is also the uh I guess you could say the, the pathway or the controller of uh, hunger and satiety cues. Our brain and gut connect through our immune system, which food also helps because most of our immune system is found in our gut. And then it communicates through neurotransmitters and hormones. So, not only does it communicate through dopamine, serotonin, and the release of that from the gut and the brain, um, and vice versa, that also goes into leptin and ghrelin, some of those hunger and fullness cues. So, um, on a biological level, too, uh, that's why uh, some of us uh, with eating disorders, or most, uh, will say, I don't know when I'm full. I don't know when I'm hungry. I can't feel those things. Um, we haven't eaten for a while or feel out of control with food, but also again, I keep saying biological level, your leptin and ghrelin may be skewed. Um, so that's another added component. So there's multiple pathways, um, that, uh, result in, um, a means for your brain and your gut to connect and interact.
0: So essentially if we're not, so it's kind of like a, a machine, mm-hmm. right? And to keep it well-oiled and working well, we need to provide it with fuel. And if it's not getting enough fuel, the pathways, the way that the brain and the gut communicate, all the signals that our hormones can send to us become almost disconnected Yes. or damaged. Yes. And yep. so does is it true that
1: food can reverse all of that yeah. damage? Yeah. <sighs> Um, The cool thing about um, medical, uh, I can't speak to the the psychological part of it, but the medical part... Almost everything is, is reversible. Uh, almost every symptom is reversible um, when uh, someone engages in eating disorder recovery. So I think that provides a lot of hope uh, to why we do the hard things that we do and listen to dietitians and psychologists and therapists when they tell you things like your brain and your gut are uh, communicative and interactive and it's important to eat uh, and why. And in, in eating disorder work and, you know, in, in the therapy with a
0: psychologist or a therapist too, a lot of times we're writing objectives on treatment plans about improving mind-body connection. And so we're not just talking, I mean, we are talking about body image and understanding how to have a better relationship with oneself and increasing self-esteem when we write an objective like that. But we're also looking for that connection between the brain and the gut. Yes. And someone else you know being able to improve the overall connection with that
1: yep yep what's happening internally um to and not discounting that uh you can't see what's going on in your body uh, which sometimes I, I mean, I say, I wish I could, but I don't know. Um, (laughs) and like all of the improvements that go on when someone does engage in recovery and sees a treatment team, uh, for their eating disorder, there's so much restoration being done, uh, internally. And, um, a lot of that is in your gut. Uh, for eating disorders. Right. And so ultimately food is medicine. Yeah. I think another um, fun fact too is that uh, when we have uh, mental health, things that we're struggling with, specifically anxiety, there was some research done on um, anxiety and the way that we physically absorb nutrients. Um, and this is outside of eating disorders. So that wasn't considered just anxiety And the research article had found that the absorption rate uh, and efficacy of vitamin A was reduced uh, just in those who struggled with anxiety uh, alone. They didn't have to do anything but struggle with anxiety. So all of those, again, hard things that you work on to um, improve uh, anxiety-inducing response um, with your therapist, that is doing something for you uh, nutritionally too. And when you're eating and working with your dietitian and feeling a bit better with the way that you're fueling your body, then that's ultimately helping your therapeutic process as well. Yeah, it's just so connected. It's yeah. awesome. I mean, who knew that if you're more
0: stressed out, you can't absorb vitamin A as effectively, right? It's I mean, it's crazy. But it makes sense uh-huh. when you say it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, there's. I'm stressed or I'm having anxiety. I'm not using coping skills. I'm not dealing with it. And so now my body is ultimately breaking down. Yes,
1: yes. There is a, you know, and I think stress alone too. um, We have all gone through a lot of stress. Uh, That is something that can affect um, our gut health alone too, like anxiety. Uh, And if we think about it, eating disorders put a lot of physiological stress on our bodies. So arguably eating disorders increase that stress. So therefore reducing our overall gut health on top of not eating, uh, the way that our body really needs to be.
0: And so when we're talking to somebody with an eating disorder, especially from the dietary perspective and the nutrition perspective, yeah. um, we're, we're really trying to find ways to help someone start learning the reasons why they should be eating mm-hmm. And, and really fight the eating disorder
1: who's telling them all the reasons they shouldn't be eating. Yes. I am a big advocate of um, sharing knowledge uh, with um, everyone, but people who struggle with eating disorders. Um, not that the knowledge and the education will always be able to fight Uh, sometimes the eating disorder, but it gives you that insight into understanding why are you doing the things that you're doing in recovery and why do you need to be doing the things (laughs) that we're asking you to do when it is so hard and your eating disorder is telling you to do something completely different along with, let's just say society (laughs) too. Um, So it's kind of, it feels a little bit rebellious and uh, getting patients to understand why the rebellion (laughs) is necessary is can be really helpful instead of just saying you need to eat because you need to eat
0: right of course because mm-hmm. their parents have already tried that with our pediatric population their spouses have already tried it with our adult population mm-hmm. if they could just eat they would by now right we are oh, we oh, all yes. know that oh yes now i want to talk a little bit about um, eating disorders that have binge eating associated with it so like bulimia mm-hmm. binge eating disorder or even like emotional overeating compulsive overeating things like that because I don't want us to just assume yes. that all of this applies only if you have a restrictive type of eating disorder. This right. all applies no matter what kind of eating disorder. Yes. We're you have and that you know when I said eating disorders will tell people all the reasons they shouldn't eat that is still prevalent when people struggle with binge binge eating yes they're they're sitting there you know having a lot of shame and guilt because they're literally going through all the reasons they shouldn't have eaten when they just come off of a binge episode yes so let's talk a little bit about how this can apply to
1: people with binge eating. Yeah. So, um, what Dr. Shweelan said in applying the brain gut axis, um, a lot of things are affected by the way that we're feeling. So, I heard shame and guilt, and when we describe binge eating disorder. And so, if we take that consideration of our mental health, affects our gut health, um, then there you have it the answer right there. It absolutely does affect. Um, I think from a variety standpoint, um, and a, uh, nutrition structure standpoint and regularity of eating, um, maybe not necessarily from a restrictive place, uh, that doesn't mean that you're gut or the way that you're eating, or I'm sorry, the way that you're eating does not affect your gut health, meaning that just because you may not have a restrictive eating disorder does not mean you're any less susceptible to having those gut changes or any less necessary, to uh, work with a dietitian, to work with a therapist, and work on a nutrition structure and roadmap to increase your regularity of eating, to improve that structure, and to feel, um, well, really to reduce some of the guilt and shame in working with a therapist as well. But I just want to reiterate that. Um, I think adding the adding the inadequacy in, um, diet chronically with anorexia and ARFID, that may add a bit of physical, um, or physiological changes to, um, our gut, uh, motility and like how we're moving foods through that create GI discomfort that may be binge eating, uh, or bulimia if they do not have restrictive chronically behaviors they don't necessarily experience, but that doesn't mean that the gut is, woohoo, we're okay because we we ate even though it was binge eating. That guilt and that shame and that excessive amount of nutrition at once can absolutely affect your gut too.
0: Well, and you know, we're talking about binge eating as if it's not ever associated with restriction, but I've met enough people in the red clinic, especially too, just through assessments, I mean, the real life experience of someone who struggles with binge eating disorder or bulimia is usually Mm -hmm. there's some component of restriction involved. Yes. And it could be, you know, I wake up in the morning. I'm not hungry. I work. I have a busy schedule. I'm highly functioning, super successful, just have way too much going on. And so when I look up after working for 12, 13 hours straight, I've realized I haven't eaten all day. Mm -hmm. And now it's a setup for a binge, right? And so even that has a component of restriction to it. Yes. That absolutely can have the same effects as the restriction in anorexia can, right? Oh,
1: absolutely. That irregularity right. in eating patterns. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I just
0: wanted to throw that out there because I don't think that it's all like black and white no. and super clean and organized. Mm-hmm. Eating disorders are so complex. Yes, But they are. what we know is what you're talking about, I think, is I think you're saying it perfectly. It's that you know, structure, having regular access to food, fueling your body regularly, you know, throughout normal periods of the day mm-hmm. and giving your body fuel on a regular basis is yes. really what it comes
1: down to. Yes. And then how we're feeling about the way that we're eating as well. Right. So that's where working with a therapist, a psychologist helps those particular emotions that you feel, as well as a dietitian. Um, and so that too can affect um your gut health as well. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. Was there anything else that you want to share with us about, um, the brain gut access?
1: I just want to tell, um, you guys that, uh, there is no one food because I know where minds can go during this discussion, even for eating disorder treatment. There is no one food that helps your gut is a variety of different foods. Um, so thinking about what food can do for you, that was the mantra of today's talk, but, um, not saying, oh my gosh, if I eat chia seed, I'm going to have a healthier gut. (laughs) It's not that simple either. Sure, you can add chia seed into your repertoire, which is fine, but I don't want there to be like this magic food mentality right. either. It all goes back to variety, regularity. Um, yeah, the food group, the food groups, um, yes, yeah, macronutrients, macronutrients, yeah, all of it, <laughs> all of it.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure having you. Thank you. And there you have it. Join us next week.